Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. I'm back from my East Coast tour where I was out there on a field trip with my kids, uh, my son and his eighth grade field trip. So I uh, had a good time out there walking the path of the Patriots. God bless America. Don't forget where you came from. I love this country. With that out of the way, I want to make sure that you guys know if you saw me posting those stickers, random locations, and wondering why is Bill putting sticker graffiti everywhere. If you look on my Instagram or Facebook and you see that, then go take a picture of yourself with those stickers, DM me, or post it on your Instagram, and don't forget to tag me so I see it, and I'll send you a free t-shirt. So that's just something interactive to get you guys out there. Get a picture with the stickers that I put on the East Coast, and you get a free t-shirt from Let's Talk Dub. So if it's worth it, go do that. I think it would be cool. I'd love to see who could go out there and find some of these stickers that I put and get a free t-shirt. Get one of the new free t-shirts shirts that we've got coming out so looking forward to seeing anybody who does that i'd do it <laughs> but then i'm me so i'm not you so it may not be worth it to you but i think it is it's cool stuff to do i'm back in the studio and we're releasing a podcast today that was from a vw enthusiast in germany that you may have heard of but before we get into that let's make sure that you guys support those that support your favorite podcast go subscribe today to vw trends magazine at vwtrendsmagazine.com go ahead and subscribe and get yourself some new issues it's back once again, VW Trends Magazine on the scene after a long hiatus. Go get you some VW Trends Magazine. Not the same old magazine you've seen everywhere else. So check those guys out. Also, go to Ross Wolf and get yourself some high-quality aftermarket parts built by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. That's right. Top-quality parts that they're coming out with all the time. So check them out. One of my favorites is the Viton gasket kits that they have. Never use a paper gasket on the bottom of your motor. Reusable Viton gaskets and a sump cover plate kit. So pick one of those up, get yourself the lock and dipstick. If you keep blowing crap out of your dipstick hole, get that handled. Also the billet shift rod bushing. So get them all dialed in. Tons of good stuff that they've got on their website. So check it out. They've got something for everybody. Even, uh, matter of fact, I need some bus deck lid hinges because I was just looking at the Beetle Barn bus and the supercharger kit came in from Compressor House. George and I are getting ready to do a video on that assembly of the supercharger on that motor. So we're going to take the old Beetle Barn bus and we're going to supercharge it. Then it's getting lowered and then the interior's done in it now. So uh, looking forward to getting that dude out on the road and making her a little more drivable. We'll be doing a video on that. I'm excited to see the difference of going from dual caddies to a supercharger. So that kit came in recently. Look forward to that video. I've also got some videos that I need to be dropping. I just finished 10 videos for my trip that I did for my kid's school. So I just put those out and uh, now I got some time to finish some of my videos I've been working on. So that's where we're at with all that fun stuff. I know we did a round table a couple weeks ago and got a bunch of good feedback on that. But let me give some shout outs right now. First and foremost, not only do we give a shout out, but any of you guys out there that are believers like me and want to throw up a prayer to the big man for our buddy, Bob Lacoste. He's in the hospital right now. And uh, shout out to Bob from the compound, man. Hope you're doing good. And uh, everybody throw one up there to the big man for him. He's one of our guys and we need him dialed in. So hopefully everything goes well with his procedure and his biopsy. Um, if you've seen him on uh, Instagram or Facebook, give him, a, uh, give him some words of encouragement, man. That's our guy. Shout out this week goes to Sean Hanning out of Jacksonville, Florida. Picked up a shirt, one of the new logos that we've got on our shirts. If you haven't seen this, go check out the website. But shout out to Sean for supporting the podcast. Also, my guy Gregory Mendez out of Somerset, Texas, man. Hooked it up, picked up some stuff, and he says, awesome podcast. Totally hooked on the show. Every Friday, I'm looking for the new podcast. Following the show from San Antonio, Texas, man. So shout out to Gregory Mendez for uh, supporting the podcast. Appreciate you, brother. 
Because I was gone this last week, I didn't get an opportunity to go to the bug-in weekend with the DKP Cruise Night, Hot VW's Cars and Coffee, but there's been some news that Hot VW's magazine has changed ownership. I'm looking forward to trying to sit down with Tom Kenny, who is going to be up there with the Volks Group, and see if I can sit down with him and get some insight as to where Hot VW's magazine is headed. So you did hear that I'm going to be going to the Volks Group race in Medford, Oregon. I'm going to bring my drag bug out there and see what I can do. Hopefully I'm able to get it on the track and make a few passes, but uh, I'm also dragging my buddy Johnny Osmondson that you heard of on the podcast. So we're bringing Johnny out to play. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a crazy weekend heading out there, just trying to make things happen, but a lot of miles to travel in a short amount of time, but I'm excited and looking forward to getting out there and getting some interviews. Hopefully I'll sit down with my guy, John Sugar, uh, recent champ and Looking forward to meeting and talking to a lot of other people out there. Uh, always going out to the, those Medford races and the other ones that they do out there with the Volks Group. They're always a great time. So I'm excited and am anticipating that. So that's next week. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do any of the bugging stuff and all that. So uh, before that, uh, Fred Norbert came to my house, who's a big uh, VW guy in France. He's real big enthusiast had a raspberry bug that uh, he had done louvered out and all that real throwback to the 80s and he came out here happened to pop into vegas for a day or two we brought him around took him for a ride in future shock and uh, you know that's what we do here at let's talk does make dreams come true so um, i'm more than happy to you know when listeners show up and uh, give them the tour of what we got going on over here so if you're ever in town hit me up on instagram or facebook and uh, Mikasa Sukasa, man. Unless you need to borrow some money, then we got we got different we got different issues to deal with. So, anyway, uh, without uh, well, let me tell you about today's podcast guest. Today's guest, George Otto. He's an author. He's been a publisher. He's a VW enthusiast to the core, and he's also in a classic traditional cow look club in Germany called DFL. So, uh, he's been around quite a bit. I'm sure you've seen some of the things that he's done and put out there. You've seen his Type 34 Gi in the magazines. Uh, there's lots of stuff out there. Matter of fact, I think they did a club exclusive in VW Trends a while back. So uh, definitely check this one out. It's good stuff. George's a solid dude and he's, uh, he's, he's holding it down in Germany for us. So check it out. He's got a great story and get some insight. You know, he went from working with the magazines to working for manufacturers. So got to see both sides of the fence and experience what that was like from being on the magazine side to being on the marketing side of a product manufacturer. So it's a great podcast, and it's just more people get to know around the world from this wonderful hobby that we have. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week. From Germany, George Otto, author, publisher, automotive journalist on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. So if you happen to see a good looking Volkswagen, don't panic. 
Okay, buddy, on today's podcast, I've got a guest coming across from Germany. And as I was there at Volksworld Super Show, I had an opportunity to meet George Otto. And you may be familiar with George Otto. If you get any subscriptions to some of the magazines there in uh, in Europe, there's a club there, DFL, which is like the, the, the classic cow look club that's based out of Germany. And George is one of the founders of that club. Uh, in addition to that, he's an author, uh, an automotive journalist, and more importantly, an enthusiast. So on today's podcast, I'd like to welcome George Otto. George, welcome to the show. Hello, Bill. Hello. Thanks for having me. So uh, the way we always start the podcast, you know, you've been, you've been a pretty st- pretty heavy staple in the VW community there in Germany and in Europe overall. Um, the way we always start this podcast, as you know, is how did you get into Volkswagens and what's your VW story? I'm, I'm a car enthusiast since, since I can or could speak. Uh, my first word was auto, auto, auto. Um, I knew all the brand names when I was little. I really don't know how I ended up with Volkswagens because my my dad is an auto enthusiast as well, uh, but he prefers uh, pre-war cars, so no Volkswagens there. We never had a Volkswagen in the family, an air-cooled Volkswagen at least. And um, I, I was always interested in old cars, classic cars, and uh, one day I went to a party of a friend, I was still at school, and outside was um, one classic car part, and a coupe, and I never saw a car like this before, and um, I asked my friend, so who's, do you know whose car that is, that classic car, and she said, yeah, that's my boyfriend's car, so I uh, met her boyfriend and he said yeah, it's it's on it says on the engine lit Carmen Gia you should have known or you could read that and I said yeah I know a Carmen Gia but I don't know that kind of Carmen Gia what is it and it was a Razorage Gia um, so your first so that was, your first exposure yeah, is the Type 34 Gia huh yes I mean we, we had when I was little I was born in 71 uh, we had Volkswagens all over the place, Beatles, buses, gears, um, but I couldn't recall having seen a Razor Edge gear before. And um, and this guy, he was a good friend back then, or he got a good friend of mine, and he said, George, we have to get you a classic car. And at first we looked at everything available, in a certain price range. So I was looking for a 914 VW Porsche, Fiat Spider 850, um, the Fiat, the other Fiat Spider, the larger one anyways, stuff cars like this, Lancia Fulvia. And then I think I, I already read Hot VWs and VW Trends because of my friend with Razor Edge Gear. We had, at that time, no VW magazine in Germany. We had custom car magazines, and they featured from time to time Volkswagens as well. Um, it was hard to get hot VWs and VW trends. We had to go to the airport, and we paid, like, I think, like, 16, 17 Deutschmarks. I don't know what that was in, in, in dollars. It was really expensive. To compare it better, a, a magazine in Germany was, like, four Deutschmarks. Yeah. Um, so that was like four, four, 
four times the price. And now, so you, I, I, we're we're fairly similar in age. So when the car scene, like when when I'm in high school, you know, and it may be different in Germany. You know, kids are driving their own cars to school, and that's where I'm starting to see you know, people driving mini trucks and bugs and things like that. Was it the same in Germany where kids allowed to drive their cars to school and that type of stuff or no? We are allowed to have a, a driver's license with 18. So that is the difference to, to the U.S. because you can drive a car with 16 when you were 16 years old. So, um, yeah, but when you are in the, in the last classes of what we call, yeah, I guess it's similar to high school, um, People had cars already, of course, uh, but most of the time they had like Mark One Golfs and uh, Opals and Ford Escorts and stuff like this. So um, I can't remember anyone in my my school and my age driving an air-cooled Volkswagen. I think I was the first one. I infected uh, some of my friends with that VW virus. Um, yeah, but at first I thought. Uh, I go for a Beetle, Oval Window, IRS Pan, um, Magenta Color. That was what I wanted. And then I thought, okay, this is this is. If you go to if in my area, it's special. If you go to a VW show, it's not so special. Maybe maybe I want something else. And then I I said I uh, buy me a Type 14 gear, a regular gear. Um, then I figured that the prices for those cars are higher. They had, you couldn't replace a fender because it was all welded up the body. So I decided uh, I'll have a Type 3. So my first car was actually a 69 notchback, toga white, red interior. Um, it was an um, early model, so the last of the early ones. And that was my very first car. And now when you're, when you buy a car in Germany so that we understand here in the States, when you're, you know, when you, when you're 18 and you get your car, is that something, uh, can you lower the cars and modify them and all that kind of stuff? Or is it really yes. difficult? So there's no problem to do any of that. Right. If you, it doesn't matter if you're young at age, uh, you can drive a modified car. That's not a problem. And back then, people were modifying their cars heavily, definitely, yes. And do you remember any particular magazines that, were you more influenced by the magazines from the States than you were from the magazines in Germany? I think I was, I liked books, um, I liked Hot VWs and VW Trends. To be honest, I liked VW Trends a little bit more because it was more colorful. Um, in comparison to, to European magazines, there, there were lots of black and white pages still, which wasn't very attractive. I didn't like the split features, you know, two pages and then read on, continue on page whatever. Um, that wasn't really appealing. I, I liked Volkswagen a lot because it was, it was all color. Um, it was really, I don't know, maybe because it was European as well. It, they featured their own scene, barely some, some mainland Europe cars, but it's, it, it was all we had. We had uh, Chrome and Flames and Hot Car Magazine, and in 1989, 
um, VWC magazine was launched. And that was the first magazine, all VW magazine, but not air-cooled only. It was water and air-cooled, which was, yeah, I, I wasn't really interested in, in water-cooled Volkswagens, but I, I read them from cover to cover anyway, because it, it was the only information we could, or we had back then. Now, do you... But, do you remember if yeah. there was any car that you saw in some of the early issues, like one particular car that really kind of you looked at it and said, that's my goal to have something like that? Any cars from your early days in the hobby that you remember that really stood out to you? Uh, for the for Volkswagen, yes. The, oh, no, it was in Hot VWs. There was one car which, which really caught my eye. I went to... The States in 1990, I went to Oregon. I have relatives over there, and I went to a school for foreign people to learn English. And I bought a Hobby W's magazine, and there was a metallic blue notchback on polished Fox wheels. And it was from Northern California. I think the, the headline was something like NorCal Notch or so. And I copied that page. And uh, when I was working in the school vacations uh, at the factory to earn money to, to buy my own car, um, I put that copy on my desk. Um, and I knew, and to, you know, to, to, to motivate, um, you? motivate myself. <laughs> That's my goal. I want to have that car. And, and you, you were allowed to work there for like, I think, three weeks. And if you, you were good, you could do another week and another and up to six weeks. That was the maximum. That was our summer vacation. And I was good. I was working hard. And always when I said to myself, okay, that's the last week, I looked at that double page and I thought, no, I have to work more because I want to have that car. Yeah, that, that was really, that was the car that inspired me. And now what? Oh, so when you how do you how much do you find this first notch for and what do you pay for it back then and this is 19 1990 would you buy the notch or 90? yes it was 1991 i think it was 1990 or 1991 mm -hmm. um it was in a small ad magazine we had a magazine that was full of small ads just small ads nothing else and um it was published um, weekly and it was very important to get it as early as possible to to get the good cars right <laughs> and um that was in mannheim which was not far away from where i lived back then maybe like 45 minutes and um and yeah i i had my my friend like i said who owned the razor edge and we were flicking through the pages and looking for cars for me and we found that one and we went there I honestly, I forgot what the price was. I bought it. I think we missed when we when we looked at it. We missed that it was welded to the pan because they replaced or not replaced the 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 uh, sills, but they you know I think they re or they replaced them and welded them onto the chassis as well. So I remember that I brought the car to a friend of mine who had a workshop to add some minor rust repairs to do or ask him to do them. And while I was in the States, or the, the, the deal was when I come back from the States from the six weeks, 
um, then the car is done. And when I came back, I, I really was looking forward to having my car. And he said, George, there's, there's too much to do on the car. I think that will cost more than you can afford. And today's, from today's standard, it was nothing. Yeah. But back then, it was, it was too much. So uh, <laughs> I scrapped the car, which was oh. ridiculous. Um, it was, I mean, it wasn't a, it, it was a just regular notch. It was nothing really special, but I ripped everything off the car. Um, and I, I called the crusher. He, he came with a tow car and the engine and the gearbox was still in. And my friend said, George, let's remove the engine and the gearbox. And I said, I don't know. I think that's too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and we had no clue we had no idea and so that car got wrecked uh, all the parts like like the the hood and doors and interior and stuff I sold that to a guy who was dealing with type 3 parts and and that was the end of my first car <laughs> man that's a that's a that's a brutal story and so, <laughs> so and it's a 61 notch too it's an early it's funny in, in hindsight 69 69 oh 69 so I, uh, one of the last early models but that's i mean it's still uh, you know we, we think about these cars that we get and and we get so spoiled where we think like oh this thing's got rust in the rockers i'm getting rid of it and nowadays they're they're restoring cars with a b pillar you know they give it the b pillar and right. build the whole car from there now yeah it, the weather in germany when i was in germany for a little bit i was near stuttgart and place like that and it reminded me of california like northern california area kind of driving around on the autobahn you know uh, is, yeah. the, is the weather there fairly decent or they get hard winters there where the cars get pretty rusty? Uh, we have hard winters as well. I would, when I went to Oregon, um, I felt very right at home because the, the weather conditions there are over there the same as in, in Europe, I would say, or in Germany. Right. Yeah, not Europe, because we have Southern Europe where it's really hot, but it's more like in, in Germany. So we have harsh winters, we have salt on the streets, um, so you always have to deal with rust with, with old cars, definitely. And what, what, so what car do you end up buying after the notchback? After the notchback... I was looking for a new car, and in the same small ads magazine, I saw a Razor Edge gear, 69 Toga White, red interior. <laughs> uh, sounds familiar. Right. Um, one owner, 65,000 kilometers. That equals to like 40,000 miles, I would say. Um, it was five hours five-hour drive away in northern part of Germany in Hanover and um, I saw it in the like I said in the magazine and I drove to my friend with a gear with a razor edge gear who was working at a car hi-fi uh, shop back then and I showed it to him and said here look uh, a car like yours blah 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 and he said George that's something for you and I said I don't know you know, my friend gave me his uh, his car. We, we swapped cars from time to time, so I had the chance to drive a Razor Edge gear. I knew how rare they were, how expensive the parts were. I wanted a Type 3. I wanted, uh, then I wanted not a notchback anymore, but a square back. And um, 
So he said, George, this sounds really good. It was 10,000 Deutschmarks, what he was asking for. So the price was, it was okay. It, was, it wasn't cheap. He knew what he had. Um, and my friend said, come on, let's, let's call this guy and uh, see if the car's still there. So I called the guy. He wasn't there. Remember, that was pre-mobile phone. Right. Um, so my friend said, okay, let's, let's go there. And it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So that would have meant we will be there by 9 o'clock at night. And I said, this is crazy. And, and let's go with, I, at that time, <clears throat> my parents bought my sister and me a car, a, a Polo, which is a little bit smaller than a Golf. And I said, uh, let's use, uh, let's take my Polo to get there because it's faster. And then I got my car and uh, we left. And then my friend said, wait, we have um, dealer plates in our shop and we can take the dealer plates because if the car is good, we can take it with us uh, directly. And I said, good idea. So we went back and then another friend of ours who was working there as well said, I have a 3 Series BMW 325. Uh, that is even faster. I'll come with you. We go there. And I said, okay, guys, it's crazy. We haven't talked to the guy. We have no idea if the car is still there. We don't know how good it really is. And then we agreed on that we stop at Frankfurt, which was from where I lived back then, like an hour away north. And we went to a phone cell to call the guy and he was there and uh, so we agreed on that or he agreed that we have a uh, that we arrived like nine o'clock in at night and it was dark of course best time to to look at the car <laughs> um so we checked out the car and it seemed really good but i wasn't too too sure because the the razor edge line around the car it was painted black and the sills were painted black and underneath the bumpers, it was painted black. And the uh, air intakes in front of the windshield, they were also painted black, like kind of rally look, whatever. Right. And I, I didn't like the head, and it, that was my main concern. And my friend said, George, this car is better than my gear, so go ahead, buy it. And we we talked to the guy and said, okay, we will. I'm I go for nine thousand uh, Deutschmarks, and I think I bought it for nine thousand five hundred, which was quite the money back then. But I had the money because I was working at the factory, so um, I bought the car and we drove it back home. And it was really strange because the only razor edge I knew was the one from my friend, and. All of a sudden, I was sitting in a razor edge gear as well, but it was mine, and it was really. It, it took a while to, to really know it's it's true. I I got the car that is yours, and I have that car ever since. So that was in nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Now in sixty so sixty nine is is a uh, a low production type thirty four, right? They didn't make very right. many sixty nine. Yeah. And is yours an automatic or manual? No, it's a manual. It has uh, all options available besides the um, sliding sunroof, the elect electrical, which the original owner ordered, but then figured that he 
can't afford it, whatever. I don't know what the exact reason was for that, but the title was already printed and it already read sunroof. And then there was a, a stamp changed uh, closed roof. And um, so that that is uh, special to my car that it should have been uh, or should have uh, a sliding sunroof, but hasn't. I'm today. I think I'm. You know, I I got used to it. One one day, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to have a sunroof roof because he had one from a donor car uh, to graft it on my car. But you know, it's it's that's the way it came from the factory and. That that's the way it will stay. So your car is kind of an anomaly. It's a it's a stamp sunroof yes. model number, but it's been overridden for whatever yep. reason. Now, yeah. now yeah. even back then in the early '90s, the Type 34s were a really rare car. I remember, you know, the first one that I had, my my gray car, was kind of a legend status car locally because there was one guy that had there was two type 34 gears that we knew of here in town one belonged to a guy who owned a vw shop randy at western vw and the other one belonged to a guy named jerry casey and he's the guy that he kind of got out of the vw scene and after seeing randy gates split window that buddy hale built mm-hmm. i thought man i i can't find a split window but i know what's what's rare is a split window is a type 34 and that's when i hunted down that car but and i remember that car from the 90s it was like if if he showed up in that car like wow that's a rare car and i'm assuming they're as rare there in germany in the in the especially in the like the aftermarket scene it was really rare i mean even if you most of my friends thought i i bought a, a bmw because from the rear with the round taillights it looks like a 2002 bmw a little bit and um Nobody really knew the car, even when you went to shows. Usually my friend and I, he's, he's got a, a light blue 69, and my my car was, a, or is a Toga White 69. So our cars were the only cars, even if we went to big shows like VWU in the Netherlands, maybe one or two other razor edges showed up. But we, we always said the old guys, they don't buy them because they know how difficult it is to get spare parts for the car. And the young people don't know the car. That that basically that was it back then. Nobody really wanted them or knew about them. Well, yeah, and I know that if if back then if you ended up buying a Type Thirty Four and it was incomplete, it's almost like don't buy it. It's worse, you know, like it's worse if you right. buy it incomplete. But to find one with forty thousand original miles, that's got to be a cherry car. So if you've had that car you've had that car your almost your entire VW career. So that's a pretty, that's pretty lucky to be able to hold on to a car for that long because, you know, as young kids, we get a passion and, the, and then things change. So, I mean, I commend you for holding on to that car because I've gotten rid of several that I wish I, I've never gotten rid of. But uh, w- with this car, so now you've got, so you, so you start to work at this point shortly thereafter you start to go down the road of being an automotive journalist or, or apprenticing to work in the magazine or publishing field. And you, what makes you decide to take that and look for, I mean, you're that much of a car guy where you're like, I want a job in automotive journalism. It, it was by, by accident, by luck, whatever you want to call it. What I wanted to be all my life was um, being a car designer. And uh, coming from a family, uh, my, my dad is an architect, 
my grandfather designed um, in the theaters the background. I don't know how you call that, um, but you you the the, the set, setting the set know. design yeah, yeah set design set design right, and he was a painter as well. So I have them some skills and some talent, but I I figured that um, studying or getting a car designer is becoming a car designer is is not so easy there's one university in in uh, germany where you can study that field it's part of transportation design and um so i thought okay then i go industrial design which is nice as well but then it has nothing to do with cars and it came through a friend of mine um he was the the guys from bw speed magazine which was um New in I think one the first issue uh, was published in 1995 and uh, they began to publish quarterly in 96 and they saw my friend's car Greg's car um, Toga Toga White <laughs> Type 3 Squareback Sunroof car awesome car on Fuchs wheels polished Fuchs wheels and um he was my neighbor when I moved to Karlsruhe, which is a city uh, south of Frankfurt, and um, and they featured his car. And when when he went to the first photo shoot, it started to rain, so they they stopped the shoot and said, "Okay, we we do the rest of the photos uh, at another day." And they asked him if he. Uh, knew other people with cool cars for the magazine and he said yeah I have a friend of mine or a friend of mine has a Razor Edge Kia he lives next to my uh, place and I can bring him next time to the photo shoot so we went there together and then they asked us if we would be willing to do um, show reports and so we thought great opportunity to earn money with what we do anyways and um, so we started you know, shooting uh, and, and writing. And um, then one of the editors left <clears throat> and they were looking for a new editor or for someone who wants to do or make an apprenticeship as an um, automotive journalist. And I thought I was always, uh, I was always interested in cars and I didn't know if I can write or not, but uh, I thought I, I'll give it a try. And um, so they took me and, uh, and they were really happy with me. And um, and that's the story. The rest is history. So, so you begin to apprentice and, and it's like I maybe in any industry, if you start to work in it, you start to understand the industry a little bit. And right. these, so a couple, uh, one question I have to ask every, uh, that I have to ask you. Now the magazine that you were apprenticed at VW Speed and Gutfahrt is the name of it. What Gutfahrt means safe travels. That is that 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 is yeah. I would say the the translation. Okay, and um, so you apprentice at those magazines, and you're still in the hobby, which is kind of the best of both worlds. How do you see your relationship by your friends maybe getting strained because? Come on, George, get my car featured in the magazine. And as as a person who helps get things in the magazine, you can't really 
you know, your buddy's got a car, but it's not that nice. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, you have to, do you, do you notice that people treat you differently now that you're part of the magazine instead of an enthusiast? Everybody's like, oh, you know, George, you know, it, how is that play into your, your hobby? Does it affect your hobby at all? It did. Um, what I noticed was that uh, people, you know, when you have a booth at a at a show, then people get to know you. And as long as you're not the editor having your 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 picture uh, uh, at the first page with the editorial, which is usual, usually you have that in in, in Germany. Um, as long as your picture isn't, isn't published there, they don't know the staff. They know the editor, the chief editor, but not the staff. They know they get to know the staff at the shows. And then you notice, I mean, you know, we were young. I was I was 25 back then. And, um, and of course, when you, you know that the, the shows in Germany are different to the ones in the U.S. Usually we have all weekend long, so from Friday to Sunday, uh, the shows usually, and we got there, we had barbecues, we were drinking beer. Um, I could behave the way I wanted, basically, yeah. when I wasn't working for the magazine. But when I worked for the magazine, all of a sudden, I noticed that, you know, people know that you are working for the magazine, and they they treat you different, yes. they Sometimes it was difficult you know, when you're at a party, once I was at a, a, 30, a 30s birthday party, and uh, we all had, you know, some beer. And um, it was two VW guys um, had, a par or had that party. So, of course, VW people were invited as well. And there were two guys I knew, but not very well. And they sent photos of their cars in to get them featured in the magazine. And we wrote them back that those cars are nice, but they are not meeting our, our standards. And um, and they approached me that evening, late that evening, and asked me why their cars can't be featured in VW Speed. And I told them, guys, it's, it's I'm, I'm not here as George from the magazine. I'm here as George friend of Toby, and I just want to party. I, I don't want to talk business. And that sometimes was difficult. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when you when you have that, I mean, in our microcosm of a VW scene, you become kind of this, oh, here's this guy who's a celebrity, and or not a celebrity, but like you're you're somebody inside the industry that that makes decisions. And come on, George, you should you you can get my car in there. Just do me a favor. It doesn't have to be a. We won't show that side with the scratch or the dent or whatever the case is. And and it's difficult because, you know, when you know you have to ride that balance of when you're part of the magazine, you have a job to do and you have responsibility to the buyers of the magazine. So this takes me down an interesting an interesting segue. Recently, I did uh, my review of the VW publications that are out here in the States, and I reviewed mm -hmm. just the cover art. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion with respect to a magazine cover? And how do you, well, I got two parts. I'm going to give you that first. What are your favorite type of magazine covers? 
Are they, uh, is it a single car, three angle shot? Is it a, is, is it a, a scene depicting uh, a lifestyle? Is it, what is your favorite? If you had to pick like my favorite cover of a magazine would be like this type. My, my personal favorite cover is a single car cover. A great photo, um, atmospheric, maybe with a scene with people cleaning their cars or whatever. But if you look at it from the professional side, it's the worst cover because there are people who buy a magazine when their car is in the magazine. I own a Type 3. I want to read about Type 3s. There's no Type 3 on the cover. I don't think that there's a Type 3 in the magazine, so I don't buy it. So the best for for the magazine or from a professional point of view is having a magazine with a cover with like four or five cars on it, one large photo and three, maybe four smaller photos to show the reader what's inside the magazine, that there's more than just uh, a gear or a bus or whatever. But aesthetics-wise, it's one shot, great photo, it's the best cover. I mean, and I think probably from our standpoint of enthusiasts, we love to see like an epic shot of a car. Uh, one of my right. favorite, uh, I, I love all the old VW trends. In my opinion, VW trends had the best covers because they did a lot of, you know, at least in our generation, it seemed that the magazine was selling a lifestyle and, and capturing part of that and us being young enthusiasts, you know, that for me was like, oh, I got to get that. See the girls in bikinis and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen that evolution, right, of the things because the cars were, you know, as much as everybody wants to be politically correct, the automotive industry is majority guys <laughs> and guys appreciate cars and women. And, and the, we've seen that change over time. But, you know, my personal, my favorite feature I had in my car, I've had a car on the cover a couple of times. And was the I did two. I did one with my brother. I'm in the double cab. It's a small insert on the vintage special, and I'm doing a burnout in my double cab while my brother's in a double cab he built for a customer next to me. And my other one was a garage scene that I shot with RK with my Type 34 on Hot VWs. Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny because I when I saw the car, when I saw Randy Gates' car. I said, I need a car that nice and I can't build it. I knew my limitations and I'm in too much of a rush for anything, right? I want to be driving the car. And it's funny that cover scene, RK's like, well, stand by the car, do something, get a rag or do something. I remember one of my friends says, oh yeah, that's really, yeah. Funny to see Bill on the cover of the magazine acting like he knows how to work on cars. <laughs> and it's like, we're all VW guys. If you're in this hobby, you have to know how to work on a car. But it was... You know, it, it, it was funny that the comment that made and it was for me, it was more like I just wanted the shot of the scene where there's more going on. And even with artwork, like I like artwork where there's uh, like a scene where there's lots of little hidden gems in the scene or things like that. So I, I like that now. And I like that your appreciation for like a single car shot, if it's epic, is also great. I remember one of the VW trends that I re recall is it's uh, a guy and a girl in the front seat of like a baby blue bug and it's doing a burnout or it l appears to be doing a burnout mm -hmm. because there's a bunch of smoke or dry ice in the background or whatever. And 
I, I like a still action shot. Now I'm going to ask your second take. What is your take? Because we're from the same generation. What's your take on the patina car thing as a whole? Like, how, and how have you seen that evolve? Especially being from the magazine side, right? Because I think back to what you said earlier. You know, the magazine's got to sell something. And I also right. equate it to when we're kids and we're standing there and we see this shiny car go by and it just looks so cool, it grabs our attention. I often think, how many times does a patina car, it's got shock value, there's no question, but how many times has a patina car gotten some kid to be like, one day when I grow up, I'll be able to afford that or have that or, I don't know, what's your take on the whole patina thing and do, does the magazines you're a part of, do you feature patina stuff? Uh, I mean, like, how's it? Cause that's kind of Hayburner's whole thing, right? Like a magazine right. for the people, but, and we have one here. Uh, it's called Volks America. And, you know, it's for a different type of people that appreciate stuff. But what's your take on the, the whole patina thing personally? The first car we featured in VW Speed, patina car. That was, you may know that car, that was the Linde bus from Walter Jelinek from the Buck Box. It was a um, split window panel van, uh, blue with Linde um, advertisement on the sides. It was really low. It was photographed by the late, great Stefan Bau uh, with Walter on a snap-on how do you call that, those those boards where you lie under the car with a with a, with a, oh, a creeper? Wheels? Yeah, a creeper. A creeper. He was lying on a creeper, snap-on creeper, holding onto the bus with a with a, a rope while someone else drove the bus, and they made a rolling action shot. And that was we had that as a poster in the magazine, and people love that car. The Linda bus is is an iconic patina car but it took walter a while to convince me to feature the car in the magazine because that was i guess in the early 2000s mm -hmm. i really for, forgot when it when it was but it, I, I would say like maybe 2000 2001 2002 and it was all new we knew the patina style or that people like patina from the Scandinavians. I think that was, it came from, from Sweden, Norway. And, um, and I, I said to Walter, and that is the difficult part when you have a car like this in the magazine, what do you want to write about the car? Uh, just, you know, we break it down to the story. I find a split window back in a barn. I pull it out. I grease the axles, um, lower it, put wheels on it, and that's it. And then I'm ready to go. Okay, fresh oil, you know, all that stuff. But that's basically it. You can't fill six pages of a magazine with a story to that car. M maybe it was a adventurous rescue scenario because they, you know, you know those stories when they rescued Sambas by a helicopter yeah. out of a swamp or whatever. Then you have something to tell the reader. But if not, 
it's a very short story. Um, I appreciate first paint cars, patina cars. Um, in my opinion, they are definitely more valuable than a than a restored car. But I'm really it's difficult for a magazine it's really difficult featuring a car because like i said there's not much to say what do you want to say right well it's, I, you know the, the the guy the owner says i bought the uh, uh a lowering beam i bought wheels i bought new uh brake fluid new oil yeah, that's it. No, and and for me, it's been kind of the. I, I look at it, and for a while, it really bugged me, um, unless someone really follows the theme through. You know what I mean? Like, and I've seen yeah. them where where they're kind of blown out and and rusted rusted on the outside, and then I see them where they're you know they they've got that done, but the interior's all new and everything's nice, and it's it's nice inside the cockpit, but there's kind of a look. I think I remember in 2014, the first Volksworld show I went to, there was a right-hand drive oval window that was out of Ireland, and it was literally a rusted hulk of a car. And I just like, I I, I looked at it and I just like, for me, it was the epitome of like, are you kidding me? Like this car is literally rotted and here it is on display. And I thought this is the pinnacle of too much, right? Like, cause they did a bunch of brass engine treatments and stuff. And I just, I just didn't understand it. You know, to me, I was like, I don't get it. You can't really drive it. It's blown out. Like you know, does it really look that cool? Because it would look way cooler if it was all brought back to life. So I don't know what drives it, whether people, you know, like the, I mean, there's, there's something to be said, I think for the look of the car that this car was saved, right? The, the battle scars and all that stuff. But I think in order for there to be interest in it, there's got to be a story behind it. It's a significant vehicle. Right. Like, you know, John Jones did one that he saved from that Tom Tom's wrecking yard. It was a 23 window and he poured a powered the roof back straight, did some stuff like that. And, and that was cool to me because it had, there's a story behind it. Right. But it, it got to the point where people were even faking patina, which was then it's just like, you know, you're putting the same amount of effort and energy and then it becomes a look, right? Um, yeah. In Germany, obviously that's where the German look comes from. And Correct. I, I'm a huge fan of the German look. Probably my, I've never owned a Super Beetle yet, but I would love to have one completely German looked and all that. What is your take? Because you're kind of, it seems that you've kind of followed the, uh, like the American style the whole way you know what i mean like the cow look the skinnies in the yeah. front bigs and littles all that you know what what are the where the origins of the german look come from like from the german side of things um when did they start doing that and does that tie in with like kefir racing or what, what do they call that out there kefir cup yes correct kefir cup that's where it comes from it's most of the styles are in in automotive history they are inspired uh, by by motorsports and the same with Kellogg. It was inspired by the drag cars. 
and the same with the German style. When the Kiefer Cup, it was from it ran from I think 1989 to 1999, 2000, something like that. So about 10 years, and those car cars they inspired people to build their road legal cars and that's where, where all that stuff comes from and they they of course took parts from from Porsches as well from 944s from 911s brakes for example and um, that's where the style originated and um, I really I it's I don't know if I want to own one of these cars but they are awesome to drive. Um, I had the opportunity to drive one from uh, Remmler, who is one of the most famous German-style tuners or workshops. And um, those cars are really fun. I mean, it's a 1303 or 1302 Super Beetles. They drive completely different to, to all the uh, regular yeah, versions of the Beetle uh, without struts, um, way more modern. And the the German style people, they put a lot of high technology in those cars. Um, brakes, they can, uh, I don't know the, the English word, but they can um, adjust the, the brakes. The anti-lock brake? Nah, yeah, some have anti-lock brakes, uh, but some can... Like the traction more, control. They use traction yes, control. Yes, you have more pressure on the, the brakes in the front than in the oh, rear, and oh, you can adjust pro, that. Yeah, proportioning valve on the yeah, fly. Yeah, proportioning valve. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's it. Uh, they have stuff like this. They invented or they, they integrated 911 or 964 rear wings to, to the engine lid of the Beetle, um, there are more, so so many inventions, things they they adapted to to the Beetle. Those cars, I mean, the top cars, they have like, or they, I think if you want, well, sorry, if you want to build a car like this, it's at least one hundred thousand um, euros, dollars, or whatever. Really? Those cars are really expensive. You really have to have a Type Four engine. I think a proper German style car has to, to feature a Type 4 engine, 2.7 liters, 2.9 liters, 3 liters. Uh, that's, you, you, you can run carbs, but I think fuel injection is, is also, it, it really fits those cars because they are not old school technology, they're new school technology. And um, yeah, they're, but they're pretty rare in Germany as well. I mean, like I said, if you if you want to have a proper German style car, hundred thousand, yeah, easy. Wow, and I, I tell you, I was exposed to a little bit of it when I had to buy the exhaust system for my Bull Run bus because I did a Type Four motor in there, and yeah, I I bought an Onendorp exhaust system, and when I started, you know, I remember going on the website German Look and stuff like that, and just cruising around, and I thought, man. I just, I, I, I'm my, if I had to say it, there's one style of car that I love the best, it's, it's like a German look style. I love a traditional cow look. I've got a BRM car. I've got a little bit of everything, but 
the German look, and I don't know what draws me to it so much. It, it may be the absurdity of such a fast-looking Volkswagen. You know, I just think they're so they're so impressive looking. Now, talking about the German look, and it comes from German look because it seemed like in the '80s and whatnot there were a lot of people. Well, in the aftermarket, like a lot of guys were using Type Four engines in Europe. Like the typical guys right. that don't do cow look. Most of the guys in Germany that are that are modifying Volkswagens, they're trying to update them and make them newer and more newer and more improved. Or what's the reason that a lot of guys there use Type Fours in Germany? I think I think they improve in Germany. People improve their cars to handle better because we are not a country of drag strips. Um, we are a country of circuit racing, a hill climb. Uh, that's that's our motorsport, and that's the reason why people. I, I, I remember when we founded DFL, people asked us when we lower our cars in the back and when will we put wider wheels and tires up front, because those cars don't handle. And we said we don't want to handle, or we don't want to handle, or want to have our cars handle well on curvy roads. We just want to be quick at the traffic light. That's all we want. And people, it took them quite a while to understand. Because if you if you weren't reading foreign magazines, you had no idea about Kellogg. And that's the reason why everything we had was touring cars and stuff. So people modified their cars in that way. And... The Type 4 engine, I, I remember that very well when I was young um, and new to the scene and I had no idea. Uh, I, I remember when I looked at um, Hot VWs and when I came to the, to the advertisements and I was always looking for wheels and steering wheels and, you know, dress up parts. I wasn't looking for uh, cylinders and, and barrels and rods because I thought I have cylinders and rods and barrels in my car. I don't need any other. Um, but I, I had no clue engine-wise. And right. people told me if you want to have, if you if you go over two liter, you have to have a Type 4. A Type 2 will not, a Type 1 will not last. If you have a Type 1 over two liters, Forget it. It's you can use it as a great race engine, but not on the road. And you have to see that we are able to drive as fast as we want on the autobahn. And yes, a Type One engine. If you go full throttle for like I don't know an hour or two, your engine will run hot eventually, I guess. And uh, maybe it does not last as long as a Type 4 engine, but in regular use, especially with those cars, not our daily drivers anymore, but fun hobby cars with like, I don't know, 3,000 miles a year, uh, you can easily have a 2.3 liter Type 1 engine and drive that on the, on the road. But that was a reason for the people because they said Type 4s are more reliable and they come as two liters from the factory so put on dual carbs and uh, another cam and you got like 120, 140 horsepower and reliable horsepower. 
I think that's the reason why many chose the Type Four route. Now, when you guys started, because you guys you guys started uh, DFL, which was a a traditional cow look club, probably the most popular in in Germany. Um, and DFL stands for how do you say it in German? Der Luftkühlers. <clears throat> it was translated by um, my friend Mike Pai from Volkswagen to the fierce air coolers. So that's his translation. I guess that, yeah, that's that nails it. And what you guys, you guys started that club as in the in the principle to that club is to be a traditional cow look style club in Germany. Like, is that the requirement of the club, or is it just a group of friends? It's a group of friends, but also a requirement. In the beginning, we were a Resto Kellogg and Kellogg club. Resto Kellogg, because most of the cars in the club were Resto Kellogg cars. We had just one Kellogg car. Back then, it's still difficult to have a Kellogg car street legal in Germany for various reasons. Um, well, what, what reasons in particular? The, the, in particular, the skinny tires up front. You can have a big engine, big horsepower engine, but you have to have uh, matching brakes and matching tires. So with a 145 tire up front, if you have to do an emergency brake on the, on the autobahn while driving 100 miles an hour, uh, you will just lock the wheels and the, the car pushes or yeah rolls doesn't roll because you lock the wheels but right, it just you know, goes forward yeah. right um so that is what is highly illegal well how do if they have wider tires yeah, yeah how do they calculate that do they look at horsepower and tire width on the front or what do they do yes yes they say if you have this kind of horsepower you have to have uh, vented brakes up front, maybe vented brakes in the rear as well. Um, and you have to have this and that tire and wheel width. And um, that's what they what they do. And then you get your car street legal. Uh, there are various ways to get around that. Um, but it's getting more and more difficult to drive a proper cattle car on German roads. But going back to, to that they rest of car cars were easier to get street legal and we didn't expect that we get our cars street legal as or many street legal Kello cars in Germany together. So when we formed that group we were six friends, all from the same area, but one guy. He lived a little bit further away. And it's only on invitation we we we're inspired by, club, uh, by clubs like uh, DKP, of course. And, um, and it's today, you know, you can have the perfect Kello car if you are um, not so very nice guy. Uh, <laughs> you can join the, I, I don't want to say <laughs> the bad word. Um, you can join the club. Right. Uh, but if you, you have to fit the other guys um character wise uh humor wise you just have to fit and then you can get a member if you have a proper Kello car Got but it. not the other way around 
Got it. So, so John. it's so it's the car and it's the attitude. It's like the individual yes. itself. Because, yeah, because yes. there there are clubs out there where some people just have a car and and the car the, the club is about the car, not the people. And you know, yeah. oddly enough, clubs that last are clubs that are about the people. You know, there's just people that kind of hang out together and have common interests. So. And right. So when you started it, you guys were six friends that would show up at a at a car show. You guys would like what is the biggest car show for you guys there in Germany? The biggest car show is the first of May show. It's like the name name says at the first of May always because it's a national holiday. So when first of May is a Wednesday, then it's on a Wednesday. Uh, it's in Hanover. Uh, it's a one-day show, very unusual for Germany. And when when I started to be part of the scene, I never went to Hanover because, it, like I said, I bought my car there. It was a five-hour drive, way too far for one one day. And we weren't willing. It's like it said in yeah May, so it's a little bit cold for camping. And we weren't willing, or we didn't have the money to 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 rent a hotel room, and so we we never went there. So it was more like a northern part of Germany show. And then when I worked for VW Speed, we talked to the organizers uh, because we wanted to make it bigger. And then, for example, in the beginning, it was just a parking lot. Cars came. It was a huge swap meet with uh, professional traders and um, and uh, yeah regular people selling their car their, their stuff from their garage and um, you just parked the car and there was show car next to a daily driver it was very unorganized and like I said when I worked for VW Speed we met with the organizers we met with the guys from CSP um, they sponsored a show stage where people could drive their cars on and we had a moderator and a jury uh, judging the cars and then in jesus christ i forgot uh i think in 2004 mm -hmm. uh we invented the dfl may cruise madness which is a cruise night the day before the first of may so 30th of april and this really helped the show to take off and get more in, or more interest in, in Europe because then it was kind of a two-day show. So you had the cruise night the day before. It was worth going there because you know, saw all the new cars that were built for the season. They usually show up at our cruise night. Uh, in the beginning, it was like 50, 60 cars. Meanwhile, it's like 400, 450 cars. And uh, 1st of May show is 3,000 to 3,500 air-cooled cars. Wow. From mostly uh, Germany, but also from Scandinavian countries, Belgium, Netherlands, Poland, England, France. Yeah. Stefan, Stefan Santai, my friend, he wrote a story for Hot VW, I think for Hot VWs or for VW Trends, I don't know, <laughs> forgot about it, but he, he named that story Europe's or Germany's best kept secret because not many people know about that show, I mean outside Germany. Right, 
And so most of the cars that show up at that gigantic event are from Germany, huh? That's quite. Yeah. Most, that, I, yeah. That, that's Go a lot. That's a lot of cars for you know for one yes. show. So yes, I, I think it's uh, huge. I, I definitely w- would like to check that out. I mean, I, I was there at the Volksworld. It's my second time being at Volksworld. I've been to EBI, so I plan to go to EBI. Uh, I think it's next year is EBI, right? And uh, next year or year after? Correct, yes. And uh, Next year, yes, EBI. And, and I definitely, you know, I really, that's the biggest difference I've noticed between the shows in the States and the shows in Europe. The shows in Europe, it's kind of like, it's a festival type atmosphere. It starts, it's a couple of days long. It's, it's more expensive to get in. In addition to that, it's, it's, it's a weekend event. It's not just a drive in drive out. What was your experience the first time you went to a show in Southern California or you went to the VW classic and you watch a thousand cars show up and leave. It was VW classic. Of course. Um, I, I liked it. I mean, it was, it was always called the, the greatest show on earth, and it, it was fun when you when you come there and you know how huge the first of May show is, um, and then you see the cars. I don't know how many cars were at a usual uh, VW Classic show, but I guess it was something like maybe between five hundred and thousand cars, uh, impressive cars, um, to be honest. And of course, the weather, everything that that helped to make it, yeah, look really cool. Uh, I enjoyed it because it, I think it was in 2000 that I came to a VW show first time or SoCal VW show, um, and it was it was fun. You know, I I knew Stefan already, so we hang with the Panzers, and we had a chance to drive with them to the show in their cars, meet up with them. Uh, you had the, the Burke Rally, you had the Toy Literature Show. So it was more than, I mean, the Classic Week is something different. It's it's not a regular American show. It's a, it's a full week. Yeah. So it, it, what, what amazed me is that there's, there's so much history in Southern California regarding the Volkswagen or air-cooled Volkswagen hobby and all the shops, the shows, the people, the cruise nights everywhere. It's, it's mecca for, for a VW guy, definitely. But, but your perspective on it being a drive-in, drive-out show and it's more small spots along the way, did you like the difference of like traveling in different locations and doing, you know, the DK, the DKP cruise? Friday night and then Saturday the Octo and then Octo yeah and then a get together usually there's some they're usually toy and literature show at the hotel at the host hotel and then uh, you know I, I it was it's one of my favorite weekends to do and and I've been kind of salted really by the way that the people in Southern California have seemed to kind of blow up the scene a little bit and having one event over here and then you had the Prado event and then it just, it, it became almost too much. And I don't know about you. I live in the desert. When I go to Southern California, I want to be not far from the beach. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like when they have some of those shows inland, it's like, well, I could be at a hot park here in Las Vegas. I don't need to drive two hours to go to a hot dusty park 
over somewhere else. So, I mean, for me personally, it was always about the experience, the Southern California aspect, you know, the bird cruise. I mean, I, I got to the point where in, in the last couple of years of the classic, I would get a bunch of guys before we'd go to Octo. I'd say, you know, guys, there's no prize to get to Octo first and it's going to be there, but let's go down the street to Cars and Coffee because they would do the Cars and Coffee one exit east and you would go mm -hmm. there and see everything from exotics to classics and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I just enjoyed the weekend. It, it kind of saddens me that it's gone because, you know, last year they, they had the classic and it started to have a little resurgence, but they're not doing it this year, So, which is really kind of a drag for me because first weekend in June is always, you know, my favorite time to go down there this year. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of different stuff, but you know, I, I guess it's just the evolution of the scene and things change and, and evolve. But, uh, I know that I really like the way the shows are in Europe as far as the two day event. And, you know, I'm starting to do that here in Vegas with my, with my show one crazy weekend that we do here. Because if you're going to come here, it's like, come here, stay a couple days, enjoy the experience. And here, I want it to be more of a driving event. You know, there's a strip cruise Friday night, and then right. we do the poker run on Saturday evening. But I I love really the driving aspect of having the cars and the meets and, you know, whether it's people get together, go drag racing or whatever, um, you know, you you obviously are a cow look guy. You you have a cow or both your cars. Well, how many cars do you own now? Two air cooled cars and one American water cooled car. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the water cooled car in a minute. But the two air cooled cars, you have your Type Thirty Four Gia, and a nineteen seventy one uh, Bay Window Clipper L. What's a what's a what what is that? What is a Clipper L is um, like the deluxe. Bus, so it has it's a it's kind of the samba bus of the bay windows it's a big sunroof uh, it has a sliding sunroof correct um two uh, and three bench seat and uh, yeah two-tone just and uh, a j bars just like uh yeah the the luxury luxurious version of a bay window so bus. stock or lowered it's stock and it's uh, in a state that it has to uh, get a restoration soon. <laughs> yeah, and you found that bus in Germany? Yes, it's a German bus. Uh, it's uh, I'm the third owner. Um, yeah, so and you yeah. know, so after you start the club, you've got your club that's that's DFL out there. Later on, after you start the club, which the club was looks like the club was founded in uh 1998 um you go Correct. on to to be the editor for for vw speed and uh the gute fart magazine Gute Fart, yes. and then you become the assistant editor for vw speed then you publish in 2003 you publish a book correct what made you decide to publish a, a book um the idea or inspiration was uh a special issue of Vogue's World. I forgot the name. It was full of uh, how-to stories. And I suggested that to our publisher house to do a special issue of VW Speed as well with all the um, how-to stories we, we published so far. And they decided not to do it. And then like 
few weeks later, they called me and said, can you do a book out of it? And I said, yes, but uh, I had to, I have to produce more stories because we don't have enough stories for, um, for a book. So uh, I planned the book. Uh, it's basically, it's a book for uh, people who get into the scene. So you have the, at first you have, um, uh, um, what is it? Uh, kind of in a, a, a timeline. No, a book is divided into chapters. Uh, chapters. Thanks. Yes. I'm no sorry. Problem. No problem. <laughs> um, so I, the first chapter is what tools do you need to work on your VW? Uh, then there's a chapter about um, maintenance, so how to grease your um, your your beam, uh, how to change brake fluid, how to adjust your valve, stuff like this. And then there's a chapter about easy how-to things on your car, like changing or swapping to disc brakes or putting in an adjustable beam, lowering your car in the back, nothing really fancy. I think the fanciest stuff is putting 40 IDFs uh, on your 1600. Um, then there's a style guide. So I show the various um, styles the VW scene offers. Um, some, some uh, I think, um, torque uh, numbers and stuff like this so for the cylinder heads and so on so it's basically it's a, it's a book for the beginner and uh, it sold really well i think seven thousand copies in like three or four years time i mean it was in the early 2000s so the book market was different to today um but it was fairly cheap it was 20, 20 it was 20 euros so it was already euros right and um yeah, I got good feedback. People liked it, and um, that's how the the book happened. Well, interestingly enough, it, it must be worth something because I see it selling for quite a bit more than twenty euros right now. When, when uh, I see that's it, true. has <laughs> it become kind of a collector's item or like your go-to handbook for a Volkswagen or what? I don't know, to be honest. I sometimes I meet people um, and they say, "Oh, I have your book, and it really helped me a lot." Uh, but I don't. I, I really don't know. I, I saw the book already for 70, 70 euros, something like that. Um, if you if you're patient and if you're looking around at swap meets, you still get it for like thirty euros or thirty five euros. Um, I don't know. I, to be honest, you, it's I'm not the right person to ask. You you should ask people in the scene. Um, and and I, it was, I don't know if it's it was only published in hardcover. Yeah. It was only published in hardcover, correct? Yeah, there's yes. a there's one here that's available on a uh, on a website here in Las Vegas for and it was not in Las Vegas. The web it's on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Okay, and it's for a hundred and nineteen dollars for this book. So that uh, that's pretty wild that they that they go for that. But maybe it's something kind of cool, right? You were able to contribute something to the scene that has some intrinsic value because of the information that's in it. And although everybody can go to the internet and look up whatever you want, it's different to be able to have that on demand 
in a in a bound you know printed document which seems to be rare you you brought up that the book market and the magazine market has changed obviously you've been there through the transition to the digital age what's typical have magazines dropped to where it's like they do if they're doing 20% of what they were doing in 2000 that's great i mean what is magazine circulation and how is how has that changed with the advent of of social media especially because to me i always equate to people i say instagram is like a magazine in your pocket you punch in something you Mm -hmm. want to look at and you can just get just the photographs of what you want to see without any other nonsense you know so how has that affected the the publishing world from where you stand as far as especially in aftermarket stuff it affected the publisher world a lot, especially in the magazine market. The book market is different, I would say, because um, it's still a different feeling when you have a nice coffee table book with gorgeous photography. Um, I mean, you can have a 27-inch Mac and you have a huge screen and you can look at a picture online, but it's still something, it's different to, to a big, large book with beautiful photos. Um, Magazines is more difficult. Uh, I remember when that was in the early, maybe 2000, 2000, 2001, uh, one of the first modern times Hot VW's drag days at Carlsbad. And I got the slides from Stefan and I checked the slides on the on the light table, and I knew I was the first person, presumably in Germany, looking at pictures of the Hot VW's drag day. And you know, you look at hundred pictures, you choose like thirty pictures for for the for the coverage. And then two weeks later, they get published, and then the rest of the VW scene can look at those pictures. That was really special. And in 2000, yes, the internet was there, but it wasn't as big as today, of course. Um, Today, you don't have to publish show reports because you are late anyways as a magazine. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if it happens today and... And the deadline is today, and you put it in the magazine, it takes you two weeks at least to get it to the people. Um, You have to change the way you feature the, the show, in my opinion. You have to have information and pictures that the internet does not have or offer. And it's important for magazines more than ever to have certified information because the, the only reason to buy a book or a magazine is because I get certified information in there. That's why I buy the magazine. If I look at the internet, I can look at the pictures, but the information I get, I don't know if they are right or wrong. I have no idea. When I read and now uh, you don't have that many uh, forums anymore, but when you go to Facebook groups or so, and someone asks, how can I bleed my brakes, or how can I swap the pads, or whatever, 
sometimes you read ridiculous answers and you think, okay, if you do it like the guy advises, you will crash into the next car or tree or whatever. Right. And um, so I think it's still important to have magazines, definitely. You have to have content which you can't get on the internet. And then it's well worth and buying magazines. So let me ask this question. You know, the, the magazine coverage used to be a picture of a bunch of different cars, all the different cars that were the scene and maybe some of the new cars. Do you think getting the value of a magazine would be like getting the value of buying the magazine would be if you could photograph and capture the essence of the show? It's hard to say it in words and understand the meaning, but you know, like when you, again, we're back to when we used to walk by a magazine stand and you'd see an article, you'd see the cover that makes you want to grab it and pick it up. That was really my basis for how I judged the magazine covers. Which one of these magazines would I see and be like, oh, I got to get that one because it's got, you know, this or this in it, or it looks exciting or whatever the case is. So maybe as much as what's old is new again, maybe from a photography standpoint, if you're able to catch because I think too much we've, we've put the focus on the cars and really what the cars are about is the people. And so if you could somehow photograph what the experience was like, we, that we, there was a feature that was done on, on my show here in Las Vegas. And the feature was, it was strange to say the least because with a magazine now you have to, it, this is my opinion as a guy who's a critic um, just because I've nominated myself to be a critic. And second, uh, a guy who puts on a show, and I also publish something for consumer consumption, right? So I think the right. value a magazine brings to the table yeah. is it should sell me the show. Tell me I should go to the show, and here's why. These are the fun things that happen, and here's photographs of people interacting, having a great time at this event. So now we almost are back to trying to sell a lifestyle, do you know what I mean? Like, and to some degree, it's like, how do you capture that? How do you capture an action shot of what's going on that's part of the fun? Because everything is static pictures. You know what I mean? So, and how do you do that? And, and you know, because you look at some of these old pictures from the black and white, you know, from the early Buggins and stuff like that. And then you see like, you know, where the people are jamming in the car, they're trying to pile people in the car or drag, you know, cars mid wheelie or whatever the case is. Right. There's a lot of action shots. So I don't know if maybe that plays into it. I, I know that I've tried personally and I think you're going to have to merge the two. There's no, there's no choice because like you said, how do you stay fresh as a magazine and are able to bring something that people want to go to for a they can get the certified information and then B, the business of a magazine obviously is to sell the advertising, right? Because you're a marketing publication How right. do you, and you need subscribers as much as you, it's like putting on a car show. You need as many participants as you do spectators and you need the balance of the two to make it work. Now, because I've thought about this for a long time and, and, and I've, I, I wrote one article for VW Trends and I offered and sent a QR code for an in-depth podcast with about the person that owns the car that was in the feature. I just did the same thing and no one's taken me up on this. And I just received a book from a guy named Craig Watkins. He's an engineer uh, that um, he was on, on Porsche's flying lizard engineering team. And, and he wrote a book, a hardcover hardbound book 
about a Porsche engineer, and his name is uh, Kusmal is his name. And he's Kusmal, yes. yeah. And he worked with him. But what's so neat in the book is that he's got little QR codes that'll take you to a YouTube video of him sitting down with the actual audio recording of the narrated version of that book that you're reading. And what I found so engaging about that is when we read a book, we we make up characters in our head based on the words that are printed. But when you can merge the two mediums like that and you can actually get a feel and 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 uh, the essence of what this guy's like, his accent, his mannerisms, those types of things, it adds another layer. And I think, you know, I think it's important that, especially in the publication world, if they start to engage in some of that, because I've always offered anything that I can do, because what I, the, the purpose I do the podcast is to contribute to the whole of the hobby. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Baja Bug, the movie that came out recently, all of the audio clips from Bruce Meyer were from my interview with Bruce. And yeah. I was so thankful to be able to get that interview, but it, it was such a good story. And, and to, to look at Bruce, if you're not a dune buggy guy and you're looking at Bruce Meyer in the magazine and it's, and you're a cow look guy, hardcore through and through, you don't really care. You know what I mean? But to be able to yeah. wa- watch something that you're indifferent of and get, the essence of who Bruce was by hearing his voice and listen to his mannerisms. I think there's gotta be a way where the two mediums have to interject because I, I think generationally people like us in our generation, we want something tactile, something physical to hold that is maybe kind of a, um, a snapshot in time because that's really what we use the old magazines for, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to get my 1971, you know, hot VWs and see how much a header was selling for back then or those types of things. But, how do you see where you could merge some modern technology into, well, maybe that's not my question. My question, well, part of my question was, how much have you seen magazine subscriptions drop off? And and then how much have you seen like digital magazines start to, is that is is there a lot of people subscribing to the digital aspect of magazines? Do you see people that that see value in that? I don't, I don't think so. That digital magazines are the way to go. I think, like you said, you have to merge both mediums. Um, I, as you know, I worked for for CSP um, in the marketing department, and we, we, when I worked for CSP, it's still we, um, we. Uh, printed um, catalogs with all the CSP products for the Beetle, for the split screen bus, for the bay window bus, and so on. And um, one of my colleagues had the idea, and I think this is the only way um, to to justify printed a printed catalog, for example. Uh, we put the QR code next to every product we incorporate it in the design. It, it looks good. It doesn't look, you know, out of place. Um, but you have the QR code, and when you flick through the catalog and you see a nice exhaust, then you scan the QR code. You are at the CSP website, uh, exactly at that product. Then you choose the diameter of the tubing, 
and then you click buy and you pay by PayPal and next day it's at your house. And the same um, goes for, for magazines. You have to you have to connect the printed version with the with the internet. And like you said, put a QR code next to it with an interview of the owner of the car or with a sound file that you can listen to the car because it's a whatever two point whatever engine with turbo and uh, and hear it you know going down the quarter mile and I think that's what you have to connect but it's 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 difficult to do that uh, it's a lot of work and yeah I don't know how to how to do that for for every story for every show report i don't know because then you you know you have your you think you have to make a proper video you don't want to do just a kind of snapshot video um that means you have to cut it you have to put music to it whatever um it's a lot of work to connect both mediums no I, I agree but even when you just said that it just it just struck a chord with me like if i was looking at and and i thought for two seconds i thought that would be fantastic let's say i have a magazine and as your interview you you just click on a qr code and it takes you to a short unedited just raw youtube video of that car on the quarter mile boom hitting the, hitting the thing or maybe you know just how the air suspension goes up and down or something making it interactive. I think right. I really think those things will bring huge value. And then now since we're, since you and I are both brainstorming on fixing the entire industry, I, cause you brought up something that was really interesting to me. I thought when you said that, I thought, you know what? It would be better trackable and more effective from a magazine standpoint to have a QR code that's linked specifically through the magazine so that the advertisers in the magazine could see how many people are being funneled to that business sure. through the magazine by offering specials to the consumer from going through the magazine. So you have to kind of support the, the two have to support hand in hand. Right. You know, yes, so of course, no, I think, I, I think that's great because you know, us being the guys, the age we are, and we're, you're quite a bit older than me. I was born in 72. So, um, you know, I'm way, way younger. Um, <laughs> and so, but, but being that, you know, I just today, yesterday I was on the, I was on the phone. I went on the Samba and I, now it's become, I need nothing, right? I have everything in my collection that I need. But now it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll I'll see about getting an issue of VW Trends, an old issue. So I click on a thing. Guy's got it for forty five dollars, and I just sent him a thing. I said, listen, I need that magazine like a hole in the head. I'd give you twenty five dollars for it, but I really don't need it because you can get, you can find everything about it online. But you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Is I, like I use the magazines for original reference information. Or to, or to see some things. And on top of that, some of the stuff printed is not accurate from back in the day, like with cars, right. cars, owners, and things like that. So uh, I think it's interesting to watch the dynamic change. And I think it needs to incorporate uh, more interactive aspect. And I, 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 I'm not a book guy. And I've been reading this book that Craig sent me that he wrote. And I thought it's it's fantastic. It's got some exclusive photographs in it 
that are part of you know someone's private collection but we're getting to a point with our hobby now where you know the the three or four podcasts that i've done with the people from bakersfield i'm dying to try to do a documentary on with the recorded Mm -hmm. audio that i have pictures that they've sent me and it would be so even if it was 20 minutes long but it's like it just takes the time to sort it put it together and and that type of stuff so i totally get it because it's it seems to be so much work and you know, when you go on YouTube nowadays and you'll watch a video that someone spent six days editing and it has 3,000 views and then you look at a video of some guy who's got, who's wire wheeling a front beam and he's got 250,000 views and there's no content to it and you just, you, you sit there, you know, I had this conversation with a friend who has a YouTube channel and we were talking about what, how people generate revenue from things like that and and he now, he used to edit videos and stuff. Now all he does is he walks through a car show live streaming. That's it. Doesn't, you know, a little bit of commentary here and there. But he says, mm-hmm. man, I used to slave over these videos. And then it would just boggle my mind like they wouldn't get, you know, you see these things that get hundreds of thousands of views. And there's they're low quality. At, but it's just something that people fixate on. I don't, and that's the thing. In, in the modern day of marketing, like how do you, how do you pinpoint what's grabbing people's eyeballs? You know, because ultimately that's what marketing does. And, and that leads perfectly in the segue of you working for CSP. How did you like, how did you like going from the magazine publishing side to the marketing side of CSP? And how did that whole thing come together? Um, <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> I, I have to check. Uh, I stopped working for VW Speed and Gutefahrt and Kiefer Review, my own magazine, which I invented um, in 2009. And uh, for five years, I was self-employed as an automotive journalist and worked for and wrote for various magazines like VW Classic Magazine, Porsche Classic, um, AMID and um, I did also some marketing for BBT for uh, Werk 34 which is Häusner and Stauber um, and Custom and Speed Parts just to name a few and um, then in 2014 I started working um, for a magazine called British Classics and some other magazines, a full-time job. So I still did social media for CSP. And um, then my contract um, was over in 2016. And CSP uh, said, so what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I don't know. We'll see. And they said, well, um, we could hire you. And I said, yeah, then, well, why not? Uh, then let's let's work for you full time and uh, be responsible for all things marketing. And I, I have the knowledge. I know the scene. I know what the, what people like. Um, I have a network of people who could um, show our products or the CSP products. Um, at shows or uh, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and so I did that, and it was it was really fun because, in my opinion, 
CSP products are, they are made in Germany. And it's, I mean, made in Germany means really they are um, developed in Germany in-house at CSP. They are made in Germany. If we couldn't make them, we gave it to companies in Germany. If they, if we couldn't find someone in Germany, we gave it to a company in Europe. But we never, still today, as far as I know, never produced anything in China or in Asia or in countries where you have a minimum or very low wages. And the quality is second to none. Um, it's all tested in-house. It was fun, you know, working for a company like this makes it easy to, to stand for the products and, and to, to advertise those products because you are convinced and you know because you have them on your car how good they are. And I don't know if you have CSP products, but if you, if you put a CSP disc brake kit on or an exhaust system, you don't have to bend the header. It fits right on. That's because they have jigs at CSP and every header goes on a jig to check for fitment. And the, the CSP disc brakes, for example, they come with all, all the screws, all the nuts, um, Loctite, everything you need. So it's not that you open the box on a Saturday afternoon, try to assemble your brakes, and then find out that you're missing or you need whatever. Two screws and you want to go to the store, and the store is closed because Saturday, and uh, yeah, you have to wait until next weekend. Um, so they've got yeah, so, so CSP. They they've got a really good commitment to quality, and I know the few things that I've purchased from them, mostly Type Four stuff, have all been good quality stuff. How did you see the difference? What was it like being on the other side? Did it did it seem challenging to you? Um, trying to understand um like trying to figure out because when you've got a catalog of products uh what what dictates what you're going to focus your marketing on is it an overstock of inventory is it a need that the industry has is it something that's you know your highest margin mover like and how and how are you able to you know, how did, how did you see that transition going from the, hey, buy advertising from me on the magazine side to trying to figure out which is the best magazine where you're going to get the most return for your investment? And did you, did, I mean, did it open your eyes to, to be on the other side of the table? Um, being on the other side of the table was interesting. Um, especially in the, in, in, in this world now with magazines often struggling getting advertisements because you have the internet and of course it's interesting for you as a, a company public or advertising on the internet because it's all trackable it's easier to see what your customers like and what they don't like but i think it's also important to publish in the mag or advertise in the magazines because we had that in, in Germany with the Opel scene. Opels are used to be GM, you may know that. I do. And their scene was pretty big. And then there I think we had two Opel magazines and they are all shut down or both shut down. 
And the scene got smaller and smaller because there was no magazine anymore. And even in today, when where we have the internet, and you may think, oh, you don't need a magazine, we have the internet. It is important because people, where do you get your information about new products from the scene? I don't know if you get them through, maybe you get them through Facebook, maybe you get them through Instagram, but it's more difficult to get people to know your products. Um, back in the day, you had the magazines, you had the news pages, and there were like four or six pages full of new products. And you could put your product in there. And like 50,000, 70,000 readers, they read about your new product. Today, it's for me, it was really as a marketing uh, guy, it was really difficult to decide where to show our stuff. Yes, we show, showed it at uh, at the Facebook page, at Instagram, but you don't reach all of the market on your own pages. Um, so it was difficult to really to to know or to see where to to advertise. And the magazine is definitely hundred percent your your customers. Well, and I think I also think that. Um with respect to the marketing in, on social media, a lot of social media is de split by demographics, right? You have people that right. are that are in their 40s and 50s on Facebook and then their 50s through 20s on Instagram and they don't yeah. they don't communicate the same way, but the magazine is the magazine and that's kind of from a historical standpoint, the reference, at least I think in the automotive industry and in the car hobby, because that's what we go to, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's tough in the, in the new world of communication, right? How to connect with your customer on, you know, five different levels. So I think that's maybe one of the challenges that's made magazines in and of itself. So, uh, so challenging. I think we we still have to adjust everything. The the advertisement, the magazines, I, I'm pretty sure that we don't, or all of them didn't, did not have, find their spot where they, you know, it, it's, it's all changing and still changing. And it's not like, okay, this is a new world, this is internet now, and this is the magazine, this is printed uh, advertisement. I think it's, you, you know that from, we had Facebook, then Facebook was only for old people and it's not interesting anymore if you want to follow your friends. But if you're in the car scene, it's definitely important to connect with the world with other enthusiasts. But then Facebook, like I said, is more something for older people and then you have Instagram. And Instagram uh, is a younger audience but then the older people also went to Instagram because they checked or they figured, oh, there's a new um, new thing to, to see, to check out. And I think we will have maybe in five years or 10 years time, we will have something new and a new app, which we like to use and which companies have to play with and magazines have to use as well. I think Shin from Hot VWs does it pretty good with his YouTube channel, 
for the Hogwarts Abyss YouTube channel. Um, so he's he's connecting the magazine with the internet. Maybe there's improvement, but uh, I think that's at least a beginning to to connect those two mediums. No, it it is, and uh, and then I see today currently. What are you doing? Um, I'm working as a commissioning editor for uh, the biggest or the leading publisher house for motor books. So everything with wheels and engines is published in our in our publishing house. So we do motorcycles, cars, trucks, construction site, um, machinery, everything. And that's my job. So I am looking for new edit or for new authors. I am looking for photographers. Um, I try to make plans for new books, um, and it's it's challenging as well because there are a lot of books already written. Um, you don't have, or if you think you don't have to write a book about VW buses you better think again because if you are like you and me for a long time into the scene, you have most of the books, maybe. Right. But there are also new people coming into the scene and they like to see a book which is, you know, on the surface, just showing all the seven generations of buses and a little bit of history and that helps them maybe to dive deeper into it or stay at the surface and say, oh, well, uh, the early air-cooled bus is, is too, maybe not reliable enough, and I want to go with, a, with the family on holidays. Uh, T4 or T5 will be good as well, but they will be part of the scene as well, even so they, they are driving water-cooled cars, but then they go to shows, maybe meet people uh, owning older cars, older buses, and they are still topics you can write books on definitely now do you see the uh is the book market fairly strong still in germany as especially in the COVID times it was really strong because people you know they had no there was nothing to do because you couldn't go out you couldn't go to shows and to the restaurant to the movies and so they started to read again and uh, it's right now. It's difficult because uh, price for paper uh, went through the roof. Um, it's getting better again because that was through the because of the war and the the uh, because of COVID and um, and the supply chain. But this is getting better, and I think there's a still a good market for books. Definitely car books, at least. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I've seen recently a few engine, one restoration book and an engine building book published here in the States recently. And, you know, I think uh, with newer generations getting into some of these things, there there's value in having some of that information documented. I mean, me, me personally, I'm really focusing a lot on history only because that's the way the podcast has taken me. So... Uh, I definitely find uh, a lot of value in that. And I'm always buying a book. If I see a book that I haven't seen and I happen to be at a, 
one of the few bookstores that I see, <laughs> I end up going right to transportation, looking for a Volkswagen book, and, and I end up buying one just to add to the collection, you know? So, um, I, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's, there's a, there's a lot of evolution still in the hobby. And as some of us guys are getting older, uh, but we're, we're still part of that generation where, although we're the old guys, we're still connected through social media through a lot of these things, you know, but we're part of the generation that we need to see value in the social media for us. Like I don't see a lot of reason for guys like us to be on TikTok. And even on Twitter, like I don't see a lot of the VW world on Twitter. They have a they have an, an existence there, but nobody really posts anything there. So right. it, it it is interesting. Um, I definitely think there's a there's a there's a lot more to go. And, and before we wrap up, you also are a Mopar guy too, huh? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Uh, I I love the full size. I love the full size fuselage. Sea uh, bodies from '69 to '73, and I'm really just interested in these cars. Nothing else. I, you know, Lee Hedges. Yeah, I do. And Lee, I, I never understood why Lee was only interested in razor edge gears. Mm -hmm. And I, we met uh, at the 50th anniversary of uh, DKP. And uh, because I had some stuff for him, uh, razor edge parts, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to walk around and, and check out the DKP cars, and he said, oh, no, that's not my cup of tea. And so he went back home, and I can understand a lot better since I am also interested in Mopars because that's what the Mopar people don't understand. So you're not interested in Chargers and Challengers and Super Beasts? No, it's it's. I'm just not interested in it. I love those full size cars. I now which which model? Me, which model is it? It. I have a '69 uh, Chrysler New Yorker for the hardtop. I wanted to have a car like this. Most people like two door cars. I because I have four kids. I wanted to have a uh, two bench seats. Um, no post, so because I love the hardtop style when you have all, rolled the windows down in the summer and no B-pillar. Um, I, I I think I needed that. I, it wasn't a break, but I needed something that was away from the VW scene just to figure out that my, my home, my world, my family is the Volkswagen family. Yeah. Um, I met some really nice Mopar guys as well, but the VW scene is something you can compare to any other scene in the world, and it's it's the biggest, largest scene car scene in the world, I guess. And um, and I have I made so many friends all over the world in Japan, in Taiwan, in the U.S., in all over Europe just through that car and it's i wouldn't want to live without air-cooled volkswagens definitely i tell you i i have a couple other cars i've got some gms i've got a 65 buick riviera and then i've got a six a couple 66 corvairs and uh you know i i like a little bit of this a little bit of that but i my home is always the volkswagen you know yeah 
And, you know, I just, I just find it because of the simplicity and it's where I started, you know? Yeah. So yeah. George, I tell you, you know, we've done it. We've done a ton. <laughs> we've, we got a lot of time and we'll probably have you back when I start doing some specialty stuff to bring you back in and talk about some stuff uh, in particular to some of the things that you're, you're connected with. Um, you know, there's, there's, I mean, we could sit here and talk for two more hours about all kind of stuff, you know, about, about how crazy does a guy have to be to start air mighty magazine? You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is great. It's like the rotters journal of Volkswagens, but it's like, that is a massive undertaking and then publish it in multiple languages. Uh, I mean, it's a tall mountain to climb. I was, I was part of, of that adventure in the beginning and, um, it, it was fun. And I really have to say Niels is doing a great job. Um, it's a great magazine. I always love to, to get the new issue. I think that's the way to go. I have Rodas Journal as well. Um, I've, I'm a subscriber. And when I get Rodas Journal, I, I know that evening will be reserved for the magazine. And I have a nice beer or a glass of wine and sit down in my comfy chair and uh, read the magazine. And... It has to be quality to survive. That's yeah. that's quality and content which you can find on the internet, and then you can survive with a magazine. No, I think you're in this changing environment. You're going to have to figure out the recipe that works. You know. Yeah. So, well, George, thanks for coming on. I really, I really appreciate you. And uh, I, if you'll be at the Air Mighty Show in Holland, I'm going to be there in September. Okay, so see you there for sure. Thanks for having me, and I'll talk soon. You got it, buddy. Thanks. If you like that podcast, make sure that you share it with your friends. Click on whatever link you listen to, copy and paste it to a group text to all your buddies in the VW world. Tell them they need to get on board and listen to Let's Talk Dubs. If you want to support Let's Talk Dubs, go to my website, letstalkdubs.com, and support your favorite podcast by picking up some merch. I'm going to have some poker chip keychains coming out here real soon. So be on the lookout for those as well as the new shirts that we have in the store. So make sure you guys check that stuff out, get yourself flossed out with some LTD gear. And don't forget to go subscribe to my YouTube channel as well as George's YouTube channel, the wagon uh, on YouTube. So he's done, he's doing a lot of informational videos on their how to's and some instructional stuff. So go check that stuff out. And until next week, guys, Later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Volkswagen.